0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Sonic Collective. This is our review for January 2020. It is the Beastie Boys' second album, Paul's Boutique. I am in Bangkok, Thailand, and joining me from Calgary, Alberta is Scott Gregory, Alan, and Darren. So this album, hey, 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 howdy howdy, everyone. How is everyone? Good. Good, okay, awesome. (laughs) I'll just uh, get into the background on this one quickly. This was the Beastie Boys second album, and for me, I remember loving License to Ill, and I was in, I think, grade seven or eight in junior high, and then this one came out in July 1989, so about two and a half years after License to Ill, and I distinctly remember buying this in a discount bin on McLeod Trail near Southland at some strip mall and kind of looking at the cover, and I hadn't really heard much about the album. And it turns out that this thing is probably underappreciated at the time, and it aged well with time. So it was produced by the Dust Brothers, who are a couple DJs, and had uh, well over 100 samples. They spent a quarter of a million dollars on sample licensing. And a lot of articles I read said today this just simply couldn't be done because it would cost too much money. So it only peaked at number 24 on the charts at the time. Um, but hey, we're just going to get right into it. I'm curious, uh, Alan, what did you think of the album?
1: All right. Well, I had first given this a listen back in uh, 2009. And I don't know why I know the details so well. Like, it just, it's a memory that stuck out to me because everyone was like, dude, you got to listen to Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. It's fantastic. So I was waiting, <laughs> waiting for a bus to go to work. And uh, I was I was listening to it in the middle of winter and thinking, this sucks. Like, everything sucks. Cold out, <laughs> the bus is late, and the music I'm listening to sounds like noise. And I don't know if that experience just kind of marred the memory for me, but I, I listened to it through once and put it away, never to return to it, kind of just resigned to the fact that it wasn't my jam. And I think that's probably because I've always kind of considered myself more of a tourist when it comes to hip-hop. And anytime I did get into hip-hop, it was was that West Coast kind of G-funk sound from the uh, early 90s, like the gangster rap stuff. So even though I knew, I was well aware who the Beastie Boys were, and, you know, like some of their later stuff I enjoyed, Paul's Boutique was not my jam back then. So um, I tried to uh, have a more open mind listening to it this time around, and it actually, um, it kind of grew on me from compared to my very first impression of them. Uh, I think for me though, what's more important is just kind of the realization that I don't have to like it to still be able to respect how integral this album is in terms of the hip hop landscape. Um, when you see who, like some of these major artists and producers who have been influenced by Paul's Boutique since, like it, it is impossible to uh to not give the beastie boys full props for this album and i mean some of the songs were were good uh um i'm forgetting the name of it right now the the high plains roller whatever i I think that's what it was that was my favorite song high yeah high plains drifter that's my favorite one but like some of them are just kind of more noisy one thing i really love about the beastie boys and it's it's kind of a it bleeds throughout every album they've ever done, but really notable on this one is just their lyrical interplay. Um, how they they each kind of set each other up for the next line and it all flows together and they have a lot of clever similes that they employ in their in their lyrics that, you know, it, I, it comes across as authentic. It's not like they're white kids rapping about the thug life, you know? They're just rapping about sophomoric, idiotic shit that as a thirty-five-year-old man who draws dicks on things, uh, I can totally get behind. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, wait, 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 back... To, what, what do you do with that? I, I, I draw dicks on things sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I saw that movie. Yeah, oh, McLovin, yeah. McLovin. Mc, yeah, yeah, that super bad scene really spoke to me as a as a human being. As a, yeah, I like, as a I have dick my,
2: my new hobby, my new calling. <laughs>
1: there you go so yeah i mean for what it's worth uh i didn't love the album but i do really respect the beastie boys and um and i think listening to it with the intent to review it really helped me to pick out the aspects of their music that i enjoyed so yeah
0: Hmm. Hmm. that's uh that's an interesting take on it Uh, i haven't uh... I think, a, a different take on it than I thought I would as well, but uh, I appreciate that one.
2: Uh, let's slide over to Scott G. What's up? Okay, first I need to know, McLeod and Southland, were you in Tramps when Tramps was still open? Was that the story you know that what? you were
0: I remember Tramps. I, it may have been Tramps, although I don't feel... Like it was Tramps. It might have been between Southland and Heritage. I went to Beaverbrook High School, uh, and I feel like straight up from Beaverbrook towards McLeod, the there was a music store. But it, it might have oh, been over Southland Crossing.
2: I don't know. It was around it, but I remember Tramps. OK, I know. It was a great place. I loved it. Um, so speaking of love, I do love the Beastie Boys. I, I found, after listening to this album, uh, that I love them in doses. Like to sit down and listen to a full album of of the Beastie Boys. I don't know why. Maybe it's just a place I'm in this month. Uh, But but it felt a little bit sloggy near the end. Like I just had enough. But that being said, uh, I had not listened to this album uh, back in the day when it first came out. Uh, And I've managed to avoid it somehow since. Uh, But... I I did. I really liked it. You know, like, I don't think I could sit down with it and listen through a bunch of times like I could with some other albums. But uh, I think that they did a really good job of trying to keep things fresh with uh, the breaks, the different changes in speed, the sampling, going to different eras And that was really good. Hey, ladies! It's probably the most well-known song on the album. I love it, of course. Enjoy it; it's well-written. Uh, my favorite is probably historically "Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun." It's one of my favorite Beastie Boys yeah, songs ever. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it when they go heavy, right? Like my favorite all-time mm-hmm. song by the BC Boys is "What You What You What You Want." Right? It's just sonically dense. There's guitars all over it. They're screaming. It's like just. In your face right they're drawing a dick on your face if we <laughs> <laughs> That's like a lot of dick drawing i know right but the the surprise for me on this album was actually i agree with alan i really liked high plains drifter uh i i like the speed it was slower it had a lower riff to it uh i felt it was more like an, alan wilder when he moved to recoil and he was doing a whole bunch of people coming in and sampling and singing over his work and stuff like that, this feels more like the Beastie Boys uh, working with Alan Wilder on one of his recoil songs and an actual Beastie Boys song. And I got a kick out of kind of thinking of it in that way. Um, Shadrick was a, an interesting track, the, the samples with the horns and stuff like that. It felt like a bit of a departure too, and I enjoyed that. But I don't know what the hell is up with the sound of science is it shadrach or shadrach shadrach we need somebody
3: to we need somebody to correct us on you can you can only truly appreciate
2: it in its native klingon (laughs) (laughs) but the sound of science i don't know what the fuck's up with that one but that just falls under the they can't all be winners category for me on this album uh once again alan said another thing that i thought was really cool when he was talking about just the interplay between them and and the lyrics uh always a big fan of that i used to think that run dmc was amazing just because you got to figure these guys every night are just having to pull those sequences out and stuff like that and the beastie boys are doing it with three instead of just two so uh really appreciate that about them i appreciate the the beastie boys in general uh, I could see why it maybe took a little while for this album to, to take off initially before, uh, it is a little bit different. Uh, it's like three white kids sampling Chuck D among other people, right? Who says he actually really enjoyed their stuff. And I believe is on record is saying that this was the best album as far as sampling a- at the time, the beats and that. Uh mm-hmm. and, and I kind of agree. Like I, I can get my fill of it very quickly, but on those first kind of run throughs and that and analyzing it down, uh it's a great album. I really enjoyed it.
0: Hmm. All right. Another thoughtful introspective opinion on it. Well done, Scott. All right, let's throw it <laughs> over to <the> Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Maybe I won't be so thoughtful. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, this is, you know, again, right in my wheelhouse. uh, I just turned 50, so I was 19 when this album came out and remember it quite well. Um, I love the Beastie Boys. And uh, I I remember it was a breakdance competition and I had loaned the competition my Beastie Boys cassette and like they lost it. And I was so upset and the bass They ended up buying me a new one, but like I remember getting into that tip over that. But um, yeah, this was uh, strange. And there's some actually really cool stories behind this. And uh, I'm sure we all kind of came across them, but I'll just touch on a few. And one is, I mean, we mentioned the Dust Brothers, but uh, they really are the ones that put together all the samples and the beats. And, and they had already started doing that themselves. And uh, the Beastie Boys kind of just were drawn to that and met them and, and heard these beats. And apparently they were just creating them for like clubs and they weren't even meant to have uh, lyrics. They were just going to be, you know, beats in clubs and things like that. And uh, and the Beastie Boys were like, no, we'll just rap over the top of them and were, I don't know, some of them are pretty wild and crazy. You know, we have all these samples put together. They're like, no, no, just leave, it's fine. And they literally, for some of the songs, I think about half or so were basically songs that Dust Brothers basically had almost done and but they were just meant to be instrumentals, and the Beastie Boys just wrapped over them, uh, mm-hmm. and then but yeah, then they kind of got together and then developed some more uh, in their own. Um, but the yeah, it was ninety five percent sampled the the whole album ninety five percent. So you just think of that, and you're talking about Chuck D and how he was impressed. It was they kind of really shook the industry to show how much could be created that way. And, you know, kind of really pushing the boundaries, you know, some of the technologies people fight like auto tune and there's negatives and positive sides to things like that. But I mean, I think the dust brothers were almost maybe underrated or the beastie boys rose over the top of them on them. But uh, a lot of the heavy lifting was done by them and they had just done uh, tone Loke uh, and uh, uh, who's the bust to move guy. Why just a uh, young MC young MC right right thank you sorry but uh they just kind of done them and really worked on a lot of hits with them and yeah they're a little poppy and mainstream at the time but they were really pushing the boundaries and sampling it too. and that was uh delicious vinyl was their their uh their label but uh yeah easy mike and king gizmo were those guys but yeah dust brothers great story and then secondly i think it was realizing uh they had split from uh def jam and uh you know, Ruben and uh, Russell Simmons uh, with the label. And it was basically because they just were feeling like those guys were starting to screw them over, leaving them out of decisions, kind of making decisions for them. And And the band was just like, like no way they had traveled and uh, toured for so long to try and keep that uh, license to ill going. and was making them money. And, uh, and they weren't, they weren't seeing it. So there's, you know, I'm going to be interesting. There's that uh, documentary coming up on uh, Apple TV, right? I think it's coming out April uh, and it's a new documentary that's just been produced. So I, it'll be interesting if they tell that story in it, cause it's pretty private, but if you do some digging, it's quite open about how they had a complete falling out with them and went to Capitol Records So um, that, that, that's interesting. Anyway, Anyway, to kind of get back to the i don't want to go on too long but get back to the what i thought <laughs> and that's 10 minutes did what i mention I, mean? I had some delicious uh, cannabis legal canadian edibles here recently <laughs> so uh yeah i highly recommend the foray uh, ch- chai vanilla chocolate uh, it's 10 milligrams a little chocolate piece you know probably find them from six to eight dollars and pretty nice ride. Do
2: we have a sponsorship uh, at this point? <laughs> you know, no, we should. We really should. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like there's I've been money trying left all these the products for research.
3: Here. You know, I'm, I'm out there doing the research, putting know, in the right. hours. You know, okay, think, so what know, did you stomach. think of the album, Darren? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I hated it. No, I, yeah, I really liked it. I actually, uh, yeah, I will add, though, I actually for Alan and you, Scott, I, I do see that side of it. It's pretty you know, crazy and you know, innovative to almost a fault at times. I There's definitely some songs and things that I struggle with. It It's not an album for me that uh, is just a natural, natural five, although it ranks really high for me because I, I did get into a lot of the songs and really listened to it a lot at that time. So it just kind of almost, yeah. Again, when you're listening back then, you know, I only had 10 or 11 cassettes at any time, so you would just play them over and over and over so you got to really know them that well but I I really liked it so um yeah I I think I can't I can't really say too much bad about it but I do understand it's quite complicated for the time and even now later it maybe doesn't stand up as well because now production is so easy but anyway how about back to you Scott all right well
0: that's a good one um I I love the opening to all the girls I just like the way it slowly The sound comes in. I can imagine like a 70s apartment, people on shag carpet smoking a bong. To me, it really kind of or
3: maybe just had some animals.
0: Yeah, it really sets the mood for the album well. And then there's just a collection of songs that stick out and others that sort of irritate a little bit. Like I really like Shake Your Rump is great. The 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 bass groove in that's fantastic. Um High Plains Drifter really kind of reminds me of like a part two of Paul Revere from Licensed to Ill. I love Paul Revere and High Plains Drifter kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of like almost like a backwards beat, a bit of a tail. I mean, then you hit something like Eggman, which is just weird. And I Googled, I'm like, what is Eggman and the Beastie Boys? And I I hit upon something that said, well, John Lennon claimed to be the Eggman and I'm the walrus. So people said it was that. Um, But it turns out it was just because I guess after they – Scored a bunch of money from their first album and they were recording this one, they were throwing eggs from their hotel room on people, and the hotel got angry at them. So that's why it was <laughs>
3: like I read that
0: as well. Yeah, but I mean the end of it where they use like sample from Psycho and Jaws and Superfly. I mean, the samples are incredible. And I think it's definitely way, way beyond its time. And when I was listening to it, I, I found myself thinking like, hey, this album doesn't flow as like a whole album of cohesive unit. But then I went back to License to Ill and realized, well, neither does License to Ill. Like, License to Ill in no way do those one song connect to the other. But somehow I actively can and do listen to License to Ill start to finish and really enjoy it. And while I love the Beastie Boys, I gotta admit, kind of like you guys are saying this, as a as a whole album sort of left me fatigued at times and almost a little irritated here and there. Like I found a few songs of it at once were just enough. And then it be time to turn it off. So as a whole album, yeah, I found it weird that I actually struggled to enjoy it as a whole album. A few songs on their own, yeah, it's okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess like any artist, um, painter or sculptor or, or musician who kind of breaks new ground and really pushes things when they do something, like you succeed and you fail, um, probably a huge success just for using samples to this extent. Um, some interesting songs on here, but I, I guess... For myself and maybe you guys at the sonic collective when we think of an album we're thinking of it as a whole flowing piece and it doesn't really do that to me so um i enjoy it but not in a whole single listen so let's uh quickly get some reviews overall influenced and recommend let's uh, go back to alan to start it off all
1: right um well i gotta say this uh this album didn't necessarily um influence me directly but it influenced groups and producers that in turn I listen to so I think from a historical context I'm going to have to take that into account and I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 from an uh, influence perspective um, I didn't overly enjoy it as I mentioned, there were a few standout tracks I'm going to give that a 2 out of 5 and uh, I don't know what the average is overall for that let's say uh, 4 three and a half, four out of 5 or
2: total. Okay, great. Uh, Scott Gregory. So uh, I'm going to create a new category here because for me, <laughs> in, <laughs> Influence was a, a three. You know, I know who the BC Boys were. There were a couple tracks off of here that are tops on my list for BC Boys. I would include them on <laughs> any uh, compilation that I was putting together for a road trip or anything like that. Um, I'm instituting a new category called technical merit, and I'm going to use Mm. a four four and a half because, you know, we've talked about Public Enemy before and and about the Bomb Squad and how much we really appreciated how much that they delivered uh, to the album. Uh, I find the Beastie Boys, you know, just you look at the sample list for this album uh and then them layering their lyrics over top of it uh, it's amazing so i'll give that a four and a half uh and that'll put me at an overall four for this album i think you really have to to listen to it it fits in really well uh in their progression um and if you're moving off of licensed uh, ill uh into this um you're not going to be surprised um yeah Well, maybe you will be, I don't know, listen to it. And then write in the comments below. All right, Darren.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I really liked this growing up, but I I, I will admit, I said there were some, it didn't flow quite as well and, uh, a complicated time. So I th- influence, I just, I'm going to put out a four, uh, but recommend and really overall, they're both going to come in at a four and a half for me. It's, you know, this is a pretty big album for me and I understood for rap and I'm glad I listened to it at the time and got it, but, uh, it does have its issues, but yeah, I love the thing. Great. Yeah. What about you, okay. man? Um, Yeah.
0: Influenced, I think I got to say like a three only because now like, you know, it influenced me 30 years ago or 25 years ago, but influenced me now. Probably not really Um, recommend I'll give it a five. I think if you're trying to understand the evolution of rap, like you go back to Run DMC, Raising Hell and Beastie Boys, License to Ill, like those were the first two albums to really break rap mainstream and then to explore the follow up to License to Ill. Yeah, I think you've you've got to listen to it to understand hip hop and and R and B and whatnot. I'd be really right. curious if you put this on for like a twenty year old licensed to ill for the first time, and then the next day, uh, Paul's boutique. Like how they would feel because that two and a half years between those two, like for me, I, I kind of went from like a thirteen year old to a sixteen year old, and there was huge anticipation. So I'd wonder if like without that space of time, what somebody would feel about it now. Um, overall. I'll give it a three, five, you know, actually, you know what, I'll give it a four, I think just for its inventiveness, but I have just a little bit of a problem because I don't really enjoy it as a whole album, like start to finish, but Mm. respect to them, um, taking a big chance, moving record labels and trying something new. So that was neat. What we're going to do here at the end um, is do kind of a five minute real quick round table. Uh, Neil Peart. The drummer for Rush died in January as well. And I just kind of threw it out that, hey, why don't we listen to their 2112 album? The reason I picked 2112 is when tributes started pouring in, a number of musicians mentioned 2112, including Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters, said kind of when he first heard 2112, it blew his mind. And I'd never listened to 2112. So without a full-blown review, uh, let's just go around and talk about what we thought of 2112. Uh, Let's go to Darren, as you went last, last time.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't get into Rush that much when I was younger. I knew some of their bigger hits, but uh, uh, I had listened to Twenty One Twelve before and remember finding it interesting and liking some of the t- songs on it. But it had been years. Um, but I, I actually got it on vinyl pr- fairly recently, just kind of from a big group of records I got, and um, had listened to it. Before, uh, probably just about a month before we this happened, you Neil know, Pierre dying. Um, so. It was really good to listen to again i gotta say i've always struggled a little bit just personally with progressive rock it can kind of just be over the top i think honestly i'm just too dumb for it i think it's just like you know you can listen to pop music or if you listen to classical music uh you know you gotta really pay attention and try to pick out the different instruments and how complicated it is and that that's that's similar and you know to Neil Peart's credit, um, he's the one, he wrote all the lyrics, he helped with, with a lot of the music and the writing. I mean, they've always credited them just themselves evenly, which is something cool Rush has always done. They never argued over who wrote what, they're just the three of them always, but um, just the way he could play on the drums, it blows my mind. Uh, yeah, I love it. I'll put in a little sample here uh, and you'll hear it at the end. That's from uh, YYZ from Exit Stage Left. Anyway, I really liked it. I think the second side for me stood up a a little better. I think I just like the more traditional rock side because I realized the whole first side is basically this piece, uh, the
1: 2112 Overture. So yeah, um,
3: yeah, interesting. Anyway, I'll pass it on. How about uh, Alan?
1: Yeah, um, I'm kind of with you in regards to the prog rock thing. Sometimes I think I'm a little too dumb. Uh, I get thrown off with like unconventional time signatures and things like that. So when uh, when Scott recommended we listen to 2112, I wasn't too keen on it. Um, I gave it one run through while I was at work, and you know it just sounded like lots of noodling and stuff. And it wasn't until I stopped and did a little bit of review on their Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry for this album, that I started to appreciate what it was. Um, that being kind of a cohesive storytelling thing. Um, it's, it's a concept album. And then I went back and listened to it again and again and again. And I, I started piecing together the story in my mind and, uh, that really helped to enhance my enjoyment of it. And I think it kind of taught me a lesson that, uh, that sometimes I forget and have to relearn time and time again. And that is just to, um, to allow myself to dive into the album by itself, not listening to it while I'm driving or cooking or doing anything else. I just have to stop, close my eyes and listen to it. Uh, and that's where I really started to to enjoy it. So that whole rock opera thing, you know, the first, the first side of that LP, uh, as weird as it was, I really enjoyed it. And then, Darren, like you said, the more, I guess, commercially viable B-side, um, that appealed to me probably a little bit more. But the storytelling aspect of of the first half was what I really took away the most from the album.
3: Yeah, it was cool. He he said he was influenced by Ian Rand, who is this, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, author that wrote this novella anthem, it was called. That, That was on Wikipedia. That was interesting. So kind of based that whole overture on this kind of weird take on,
1: I guess, society. Yeah, like a dystopian tale of,
2: yeah.
1: Science Whatever. fiction.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right. Mr. Gregory. Well, I do love science fiction. I've had my prog rock phase. And, um, you know, I, I took a tour through the 70s. I, I grew up in a radio station. I think I've mentioned it before. And, and this album was definitely there. I had listened to it before. Uh, it falls right in with bands like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, um, Early Genesis, Grand Funk Railroad. Just all these bands that really worked hard on their lyrics uh i didn't know until later that neil was the one that did most of those lyrics and so uh you never suspect the drummer right like and yeah and i just i i wish i could say that i was like a a lifelong rush fan like some of these people that come out and they're just you know so passionate about them And, and anytime i've listened to rush i've enjoyed it but i i You know, I feel like I'm a tourist compared to these people, but I I really liked this album. It gave me those big drum clears and solos that I've been missing that, you know, just seemed to die off in the 80s. Uh, There's songs on both sides. They just, the stories that span tracks, the lyrics speak to me. Uh, Rush's lyrics have always spoken to me, uh, and that's what brings me back to them. Uh, I think my favorite album or my favorite song was Tears, it's a slower track. I appreciate Getty's voice on that. You never really hear a lot of their radio songs uh, in that register at that speed. And so to, to find that on this album was really a treat for me. Uh, and I'm likely going to dig deeper into their discography to the B-Sides to see if they did more like that. Um, Alice and Chains, I listened to the 40th uh, anniversary edition of the album as well too, and Alice and Chains covers that same song. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, The one thing I just want to close with uh, is that uh, in reading and looking at their live from 2015, they never mentioned that Neil was having health issues. They just wanted to go. They had said that it was likely going to be their last tour, but that... um, You know they didn't disclose anything as to to why they just wanted to let the music speak for itself and go out and let themselves do that and so i have mad respect for them for for doing that tour that way uh and it just speaks to the nature of them as friends as musicians and everything like that on top and um i'm just really proud to share a country with them so yeah
0: yeah. Uh, wow. Well, good one. Tough to tough to top that one, there, Scott. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I'd I'd listen to a Rush album in its entirety. I must have at some point in my life. And of course, I knew like subdivisions and Tom Sawyer. Um, I listened to this one while jogging in a park in Bangkok, and it was kind of trippy. And when that first 2012 overture, I immediately pictured guys playing Dungeons and Dragons in a basement listening <laughs> to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really. I mean, the lyrics are. are pretty kind of nerdy and out there but I was enjoying the musicianship and then a passage to Bangkok started which I had no idea about I hadn't even looked at the track list and I'm jogging in Bangkok and I was like whoa this is this is kind of really trippy and then you know it talks about basically getting baked all over the world so "Oh, that's kind of neat um, you know overall it, it's a neat album like Darren I've always struggled with Rush a bit like I really like some of the songs but yeah, it's just not entirely my wheelhouse. But what I did kind of enjoy about listening to this album is that I also read a fair bit, like you guys, about the band. Um, listen to Alan Cross's uh, podcast he does about Neil Peart, two yeah, episodes. Yeah, I had that
3: note as well. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, really good. It's well done, yeah. it
0: was really good. And the point that kind of really jumped out at me is that as a, a lyricist, he said that when he played the drums in recording, he always knew what was going to be sung and where. So he would play his drums accordingly because he – Knew what was going to be sung whereas he said most drummers don't really know what the lyrics are when they're playing so he said it really impacted his his performance and that he always knew exactly what would be sung and where so i just thought huh that's kind of neat and it made me also remember kind of a i don't remember where I've, it's sort of a i guess a well-known thing but how did the drummer get fired from the band right when he said like hey i have an idea for a song but it's kind of neat <laughs> yeah. that, uh, a, a drummer actually was kind of the driving force behind a band and gosh, there's not that many Canadian bands that that really get known globally. And when Neil Peart passed away, man, like the titans of rock were jumping in with condolences right away. And you realize like Rush was massive around the whole world, right? And I agree with you, Scott. The way they went out too, like just quietly, they did that tour and that was it, real classy. So um, I've since listened to The Greatest Hits quite a few times. Like the spirit of radio has been going on in my head oh. for about two weeks. That song, I just can't. <laughs> Get it out of my head. I love it, but uh, interesting. I'm going to start listening to some more Rush. So, so thanks, boys. Um, yeah. So yeah, farewell well, to Neil Peart and kind of a double one. Um, Alan, you've already picked the one for February, and you uh-huh. pumped. I've listened to it already. Tell us what is it quickly.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, for February, we are reviewing uh, Van Halen's debut album, Van Halen.
3: Ooh. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. yeah, everyone.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is a record long review. I think we're over half an hour. Uh, This has been the Sonic Collective review of Paul's Boutique and Rush 2112 for January 2020. Until next month, enjoy the listen ahead.